Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for almost four decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. Today's guest, Sean Kramer, is the fourth generation in his family to be living with diabetes. He serves as the chief executive officer of the Diabetes Research Institute Foundation in Florida, whose mission is to develop and rapidly apply the most promising research to treat and cure those now living with diabetes. I knew Sean was the perfect guest when he shared, we have to move beyond the hope fatigue notion. Let that sink in while you listen. But before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just click the donate link in the show notes. Number two, my affiliate and resources page feature reputable brands and services that make life with diabetes a more pleasant one. You can find all the deals at diabetesdailygrind.com. Number three, I recently launched, and I'm so excited to announce, The Diabetes Way, a website dedicated to people living with and touched by this disease. You should check it out at thediabetesway.com. And finally, stay engaged, love, like, share, and comment on all things social media, sign up for the e-newsletter, leave an iTunes review, subscribe to my YouTube channel, and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, let's get started. I'm so excited to have Sean join the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. And I start most episodes, Sean, with where are you calling in from? And then we'll go into a little bit about your diagnosis story. Sure. Happy to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to chat. I am in Miami, Florida, and it's a beautiful day to day down here. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so tell me a little bit about, because I'm going to start right off the bat for the listeners. He's fourth generation T1D and you don't hear that very often, I guess, <laughs> thankfully. I mean, yeah. Yeah, thankfully. Let me. I, I do want to clarify. So my mother actually is type two, but my okay. grandfather and grandmother were both type ones. So yeah, I unfortunately thought I got over it, or at least what my impression at the time was that you know most people that get type one are are juvenile, and I right. got it at forty five years old, forty four years old actually. So I was not able to escape the genetic <laughs> bug, unfortunately. So I've been dealing with this for the last you know several years, and you know it's it, it every day is is a challenge and. I talk about this often is uh, Sam Talbot is uh, on our uh, national board and uh, I've gotten to know him and, you know, we'll go out and we do a number of events with Sam and he'll come up and talk to the audience. He'll say, I feel terrible for Sean. You know, he, he knows what chocolate cake is and (laughs) eating a big bowl of pasta and, you know, now he can't. (laughs) So, (laughs) So yes, it's, it's been a challenge, but I'm fortunate and blessed to be able to do what I do in terms of working at the, the DRIF Diabetes Research Institute Foundation, where we have one goal and that's to cure T1D and, and help me lose my job. So that that's it. Well, we're going to get into that. I want to go back to, because everybody's diagnosis is similar, but not the same. And especially with being 45 years of age and being diagnosed, we, when we talk about what used to be called juvenile diabetes, the symptoms are the signs to be looking for. And we're all advocates for this, but it's frequent urination, being thirsty all the time, groggy. So in your, I mean, I'm 45 and a half right now. And some of those things are just everyday stuff. Diabetes sure. or not. So what was the, what made oh, you think, oh, great, this is diabetes. <laughs> well, I will say it was the worst 
week of my entire life. It started with a thirst that was just completely unquenchable to the point where I, I've never experienced that anything in, in my life and never want to again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would literally you know, start, I would just suck down a gallon of water and, and I would immediately need another gallon of water, which then caused the you know increased urination. Yeah. And I lost probably over 20 pounds within about a week and a half or, wow. or two. And I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not really made to lose 20 pounds. So right. I walked into my office and and my uh, CEO, I was working at the Parkinson's Foundation at the time and CEO looked at me and he said, you look gaunt. And so I had already gone in to see my primary. So I knew what was going on at the time, but I, I knew I had lost quite a bit of weight. And then my eyesight went too. So mm-hmm. I now have to wear a glass. I had perfect 2020 uh, vision before this. And, and unfortunately, you know, once I got diagnosed, I, I now uh, have to wear glasses. So it, I had sleepless nights because I was up every, you know, 20 minutes, either drinking or going to the bathroom. And, and, you know, I was fortunate that I got in to see my primary fairly quickly and the fact that I, I was having these symptoms, you know, I both asking my mother, you know, knowing what she's, she'd gone through with her own, both her father and, and obviously with, with her own uh, type two to, you know, see what was going on. And so she said, well, it sounds like you have diabetes and obviously Googled it and, and every, you know, every symptom, symptom. every yeah. symptom was there. So when I walked into my primary physician's office, I said, I, I, you know, I have, he's like, what's wrong? I said, I have diabetes. He says, no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I said, no, I do. He says, no, no, it, it, it can't be, it can't be diabetes. Look at, look at, you don't look like you would have diabetes. Right. right. So, and sure enough, my A1C, I think was 11.7. And my glucose was running, I think at that time, like 450 plus. So he's Did like, they yep. think right off the bat that maybe, I mean, when you came in there saying you had type, uh, that you had diabetes, was he immediately mm-hmm. thinking type two? My assumption is he was thinking type two, right? Yeah. Cause that's, you know, obviously. Age. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, you're over the, you know, the juvenile portion of, of type one. So it can't be. So he actually sent me home with metformin and said, I'll see you in six months. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And so, you know, obviously I, I got home and, and, you know, started taking metformin and, you know, sure enough, I, I wasn't feeling any better. And so I started Googling and looking up, you know, where can I get really great diabetes care in South Florida and the Diabetes Research Institute came up and, you know, I was again, fortunate that I, I got in for an appointment fairly quickly at that, at that time. And, and, you know, my endocrinologist is still there to this day. And, and we had a great conversation and I, you know, went home with, with insulin and I felt a whole lot better after. <laughs> well, and you know, one of the things too, with newly diagnosed individuals, whatever age, it doesn't matter. Of course, advancements in insulin therapy are so dramatically different than 38 years ago when I was diagnosed. So what did they immediately put you on? Oh man, I have to think back. I I could make a guess. I I don't even remember. You know, honestly, I think it was really just kind of a bit of a fog, you know, in terms of what they prescribed for me. So when it doesn't uh, really matter just in that, I'm just curious with it being such a new and with new insulins coming out all the time. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't remember what what they actually put me on initially for meds. I do remember, you know, they they put me, you know, I had my CGM at the time and, you know, had conversations with me around carb counting and 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 so I had to learn a whole new vocabulary. I always thought to myself, I was like, man, you know, I, I remember watching my grandfather 
you know, have to prick his fingers and initially actually, you know, have his uh, urine sticks, right. That yeah. he was um, checking initially. And, and I just remember thinking like, man, it has to be so hard for him, you know, constantly having to think about this. I, you know, I, I was, I was young, obviously at the time when I was seeing this, but it didn't occur to me that at you know my age that I was going to have to be doing similar things to what my grandfather was. Thankfully, you're right that the advances that we've had in both, you know, the, the insulin as well as in technology, technology side have, have vastly improved, you know, life for people that are living with it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is, which is great. But, you know, again, back to what I was mentioning earlier, it's not a cure, right? So insulin is not a cure. Well, and here's another question with that, because I'm, I'm asking all guests at this point, do you feel like, and it sounds like you do or did get proper education to manage your diabetes as mm-hmm. when you went home? I mean, that's like you said, a lot to learn and to digest. So to say the least, so do you feel like you got enough information to come home and feel safe with diabetes? Did I come home and feel safe? No, I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly was terrified. I, I remember that I was married at the time and I remember uh, having, you know, lot, lots of conversations with my, my ex around, you know, what if my sugar goes low and I was traveling for work, you know, all the time. So I'd have to make sure that I was packing, you know, things to eat on the plane and yeah. you know, just, you know, so did I have enough information? No. And I still don't feel like I have all of the information, right? There's just so much that that's out there. And I, I, you know, meet people all the time that I'm just blown away by their, <laughs> by their, you know, their education around mm-hmm. the disease. So I still feel like I'm, I'm a newbie in the space. You know, obviously you've been living with it for yeah. 30, you know, 38 years at this point. So I have, I still have a lot more that I can learn. And, you know, the other interesting piece is, you know, coming out of the Parkinson's space, we would say, you know, once you met one person with Parkinson's disease, you met one person with Parkinson's disease, right? It affects <laughs> people differently. It's the same in, in, yeah. in diabetes, right? So I, I, I'll talk to people and I'll say, I can have spaghetti. And I'll meet somebody else like, I can have an entire bowl of spaghetti. And right. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you know, so or I can exercise and and I'm okay, you know, post exercise for, you know, you know, moderate exercise and others that that just, you know, throws them completely out of whack. So it's challenging because you don't have a frame of reference where there, you know, what what do you do? Well, what you do doesn't has nothing in terms of how it impacts me and and my so I I feel like I'm learning constantly in terms of how to manage it and what what's happening and again back to the, you know, new products, new technology that that are, that are coming out. There's still a lot more that we that we need to know. Well, and I say often, I mean daily, literally, is that I've learned more from the diabetes online community than I ever have in a medical anything. I mean, sure. it's and no disrespect to the medical teams. It's just trial and error, and we us all sharing that this sensor works better, or this this tape works better, or right. bolusing after you eat. Just all the little right. tips and tips and tricks and right. You're not going to know that unless you're living the life. And so, and I will say, since you've only had it a few years, it changes day to day and year to year. So it's one of yeah. those, once you think you get it, that's not to be down, Debbie Downer, but it, right. maybe not tomorrow. Maybe that's not right. tomorrow. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit, and we touched on this briefly about, and what I really enjoyed about reading about you and learning more is that, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the CEO for the Diabetes Research Institute Foundation. That's correct. Yes. And the mission is it's the only national organization solely dedicated to finding a cure for diabetes with expert sources and human interest stories. That's correct. Because we only hear about a few things. And for the person who's not reading about this stuff every single day, you may not know that you this existed. Well, you know, and it's fascinating because I live in South Florida and I didn't know it existed. 
So, yeah, we we are an organization. I And I've been in my role now since January of 2020, which was a very interesting time to start in a, in a brand new organization. And I'll, I'll get to that, at, you know, I think at some point in terms of how it actually has benefited us to start then. But so we are the organization that actually funds the work of the Diabetes Research Institute, where we have over 100 researchers that all they do day in and day out is focus on finding a cure for type one. That's it. You know, we don't focus on the care aspect. We're not focused on type two. It it is all type one all day, every day. And it is part of the University of Miami. And we are the primary funder for the work of the Institute itself. So what is great about the Institute that I love about, aside from the fact that we are you know, singularly focused in terms of our mission, it's the most comprehensive place for diabetes research that you'll find for type one specifically. So we have everything from bench research through clinical research in one building. And the way that the building itself was constructed and, and designed is that they put clinical space on the first floor, which is where I go to see my endocrinologist. And the researchers come in and walk by the patients every day and go upstairs to their labs on the you know two through five, and, and that's where they work. And so the idea is that the researchers can actually see the work that they're doing impact the people, which doesn't typically happen in, you know, especially around academic medical research, right? Laboratories are kept separate from, from the clinical space. And so we feel it important that, that our researchers understand and and are connected to the diabetes community. And equally, we have, you know, individuals that are on the team that are personally affected by type one, you know, Chris Fraker is one of our our researchers who is just an amazing individual. He is a type one, Norma Kenyon also doing amazing work. And she has a daughter who is a type one. So we all have a very personal mission connected to, you know, figuring this out and, and solving it for everybody. So it's frustrating when I, when I hear yeah, and I see people online and say, well, you know, we're never going to get to a cure because, you know, pharma or whoever is not going to allow it to happen. I can tell you that that, that is never going to be the case with the Institute or the foundation. We are so connected to, you know, as I said before, doing one thing, which is turning out the lights and, and, uh, and figuring this out for everybody that there's not going to be anybody that tells us, you know, we're not going to uh, move as fast as possible, you know, to get this, get this solved. Well, and I think that I would like, if you can, please define the word the cure type sure. 1 diabetes. Yeah. And let me, let me clarify that we're looking for a biological cure. So we're not looking for a technological. That's the right. first thing. And when I say cure, you know, what, what I think I was listening to somebody speak the other day and they said, you know, cure for me is I don't ever have to think about diabetes again. Right. Right. That's a cure. And so what that actually looks like, you know, what I would say is, you know, back to what I said earlier, where there are, you know, one person with diabetes, one person with diabetes. I think that that from our perspective, there are going to be multiple angles for a cure, whether it's going to be on stem cell therapy, islet cell transplantation, prevention, right, of Mm -hmm. uh, of type one altogether. So you never have to deal with it to begin with, you know, obviously figuring out the autoimmune aspect of the disease. So I don't think we we don't have a clearly defined, this is the cure. We think there are going to be a, probably a number of cures that are going to be out there. And I think what will likely happen is that depending on your particular you know, type of diabetes that you're dealing with, hopefully you'll have a, a litany of uh, you know, options that, that you can take in terms of what, what's the best avenue or path for you and your diabetes. So. I know you can't speak to this, but it's just one of those things because I hear this all the time in the diabetes community is 
when this cure is is out there, who will have access to it and how affordable will it be? That's the million dollar question there alone, right? It's, you know, for, for us, our expectation is that it will be available for everybody that that wants it and needs it, you know, regardless of expense or cost. And I would venture to say that when we get to that point where there is a cure available, that the foundation itself will likely shift in terms of access to it, right? So our fundraising efforts would be towards making sure that those those individuals that that need it will get it. You know, and unfortunately in this space, and actually I have a, a blog post that's going to be coming out fairly soon. You know, what I have seen just being in the, the diabetes community from a, a nonprofit perspective, and I've been in the, the nonprofit space virtually my entire career. So I have a, a fairly unique perspective uh, in terms of where we are as, as a diabetes community, but it, it's the most fractured community that I have found in terms of uh, diseases, right? There are multiple organizations that are all competing for the same exact resources. Right. There is a lack of coordination, collaboration, and that does none of us on the patient side any good, right? They're, they're fighting. I mean, I can't even tell you how many, you know, back to school town hall sessions there are, you know, that just confuse the heck out of people when they go, you know, to find information and who do you believe, right? Who is the, the actual expert, right? And so for, for us, you know, I think one of the things that, that we have found that we have, we have heard, I hear when I'm out meeting with people is that there's hope fatigue, right? Oh. That, that people are just tired. Well, I was promised a cure five years ago and, and, and it hasn't happened, you know, or I hear people, well, you know, my, my, you know, my endocrinologist said there's going to be a cure by the time my daughter gets into high school and, and right. it hasn't happened. And so I'm just giving up. I'm not going to do anything, you know, any longer. And I think that's the worst possible scenario for us because it, it, there are still 60,000 plus people just in this country alone, you know, being diagnosed with T1D annually. And with what we know about coronavirus yeah. and its impact, anecdotally, we're hearing now, uh, I think I just saw uh, an article that's come out, uh, you know, in the last day or so where endocrinologist offices are, are packed and yeah. they can't. They, you can't get an appointment because the number of people that are newly diagnosed just continues to to climb. So it, it would not shock me if if those numbers continue to to increase dramatically. And and unfortunately, we have to get over this this hope fatigue notion. There will be a cure. We just ha- you know I can't, I'm not going to put a date to it, but right. you know we can't give up and and just simply say well somebody told us that we're, that we were going to have it didn't happen. So now I don't believe it. Right. Right. Um, we we have to we have to move beyond that notion and just simply say to the community there are not just good people there are great people great scientists exceptional scientists that are working on this every single day and need help and resources to be able to get to the finish line the more we delay that the longer we delay whatever the cure is going to be well and i think there's so many i could go in so many directions with this <laughs> what i love the fact is that you brought up a that the researchers, institutes, whatever, I would love to believe are working together. But let's be honest, everyone wants to be the person that finds a cure. So of course, you're going to keep your cards close to your chest. And that sucks. And I'm hoping that people will come together or those groups will come together for the common good for people living with type one. With that being said, I love the fact that there's so much competition when it comes to technology, Mm -hmm. because it's driving hopefully the cost down and improvements. And so in the interim, until this cure happens, hopefully we'll continue to have better quality of life, whatever that looks like. 
Well, and that's that's a critical aspect to to the disease itself, right? Is we need whatever the cure is going to be. Let's say it's islet cell transplantation. If you're not well enough, if you're an unregulated diabetic, right, or somebody living with diabetes, are you going to be able to receive whatever that cure is the day that it that it's here? And so for us, we will, from the foundation side, believe in the work of foundations that are out promoting care related. There are partners in this because we need people to live you know, their best quality of life so that that day when the cure does come, that people are able to receive and accept it. Well, I think it's one of those things, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to any of the other nonprofit organizations that are driving fundraising and things like that. But the way that I see your organization in particular, it's not if my kid can raise $10,000, we're going to get closer to that cure. It's going to be a lot faster, right? I mean, this is a totally different way of looking at raising funding. Yes. What I say around around the fundraising is, and and this is the reality of, of the foundation, as I mentioned before, we've been around for 50 years. We haven't found the cure. We've moved closer, but we've not found the cure or a cure at this point. And, and that's frustrating for me, right? As somebody who's newly diagnosed, I would have loved to have had, you know, been able to, to get diagnosed and then say, well, just go over to the, the to the Diabetes Research Institute. And there's a cure for you. Right. That, that doesn't exist. And we from the foundation side have really operated you know, fairly isolated within the diabetes community. You know, I mentioned that that I, you know, I grew up in South Florida. I had never heard of the Institute or the foundation. And that to me is a, a tragedy and a travesty in terms of the space. And I went through this when I was going through the interview process. That there are people living with, with type one and with diabetes everywhere. We should be trying to talk about our organization in as many places as possible. And unfortunately, we have been underfunded. That's the reality of it. You know, our our, our researchers, I, I will say that historically we've done a, we've done a great job. I don't want to discount any of the work that, that has happened, you know, prior to my my coming on board because they have funded significant amount of research there. But the reality is that funding the institute, if when you talk to the researchers and the scientists, they don't have all of the resources that they need that can move us faster through this process, right? We don't we don't have an existing clinical trial fund, right? Mm. So that when we have a need to move from clinical trials, or, you know, from animal-based models and trials into into human-based trials, we don't have a fund that's that's developed for that. So we're working on that. We don't have a young investigator model, so we can identify brand new researchers, postdocs, and fellows that are in the space that say, "Wow, I I you know would really love to work at the institute." but we don't have a funding mechanism to to pull them in. We don't have a funding mechanism to tie in, as you mentioned earlier, right? Academic research centers together in one space so that they're sharing information back and forth. So ideally should be raising somewhere to the tune of 50 to $75 million annually. And we're a fraction of that right now. You know, we, we we have raised throughout the pandemic actually more money, you know, these past couple of years that we have in the last several years, which is great, but it's nowhere near where we need to be. So for us, our only job is, as I said earlier, is you know, raise as much money as we can, get it to the researchers, let them do what they do best and just drive to the finish line. I'll be curious too, with the whole, the COVID diagnosis and the increased uh, numbers of people living with type one now, if that will be a different area of the research institute, because that's a totally different, I don't know. I mean, please correct me in this. I mean, it's like, it's uncharted territory. 
I mean, this it, is, we don't it, know. We, we don't know, right? And we don't know what we don't know. So, you know, I think some of the, some of the aspects and some of the work that, that we're trying to do right now is, you know, can you potentially extend the honeymoon period for people that, that are newly diagnosed, right? Which ultimately reduces, you know, their, their insulin needs, you know, long-term, which could have longer term impacts on, in the way that they're disease develops, right? So it will be very interesting to see what direction the researchers go. And, and we're at a really interesting inflection point at, at the Institute as well. You know, our scientific director, Dr. Camilla Ricordi, who's been with us now for the you know past nearly 30 years, is uh, taking a new role within the Institute. He's continuing his work around islet cell transplantation, but we'll be hiring in a brand new scientific director who will really set the, the the tone and the pace for, you know, what will hopefully be the last scientific director of the Institute and, and, and get us over that finish line. Well, I, like I said, I find this all fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing more about what you guys are up to because the more that the patient knows, the more energy and money we put into things that we believe are actually making a difference. We're not asking, not asking for any money from anybody. It's just one of those things that, yeah, I, yeah, whatever. But I want to kind of wrap things up with a few, well, a few things. What diabetes management tools are you using currently? Devices or whatnot? So I am not yet on a pump. I am on a CGM, so I'm on the Dexcom. And outside of that, I don't have much else from a technology standpoint that I that I use. I'm sure I had a conversation with my endocrinologist a couple of uh, months ago when I went in. She's like, you're just about ready to go into a pump, which, you know, is, is also just, again, terrifying to me. I have not, I have not made that, that leap. So that's what I'm, I'm using currently. And the reason for that, okay, my question for that or for your endocrinologist is, are they wanting you to go on to insulin pump therapy because they don't feel like your MDI management is working? I think, no, they, it's working. My, my A1C is actually, I'm at a six one now, That's great. Um, which is great. I'm very happy about that. Went up a little bit during, oh, I really did a good job. I tried to do a good job during the pandemic, you know, which was very difficult. I was actually on a podcast the other day and the average weight gain in the United States for people was actually, I think 19 pounds. Good job. Um, yeah. So I feel like I've done a good job in terms of managing it, but you know, I've had conversations with her around, you know, just ease of use and, and, you know, ease of just mind. And she thinks that might be helpful for that. But, you know, again, like I said earlier, it's still terrifying. Everything is terrifying about, about type one. You know, I, I applaud, I applaud parents and I hear it constantly. Actually, when I, when I first came into the Institute, I was contacted by a very, very close friend of mine whose son was diagnosed just a couple months before I started, I had no idea that, that that happened, but she reached out and said, you know, my son was just diagnosed. And I, I think about this and I had another friend who had two children diagnosed within about a two year time span. You know, it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying for me as an individual, but, you know, to have child diagnosed with this where, you know, it's just constantly, it's constantly on your mind. You see the parents, you know, with obviously their, their tools and, and thankfully yeah. there are much better tools that they can check in on, you know, their college students, right. And how are they doing with their, with their CG? And where where are they with their with their levels, right. right? So, but it is a terrifying disease. There's there's no doubt about that. So that, I think that's that's partially why we're talking about insulin pump for me. Okay, and so word on the street, you have three daughters. 
I have three daughters. Yes. Yes. So and I'm do any of them have type one? No, they do not. They do not. Knock, I'm knocking on wood. So they're 16, 15, and 13. And I pray and hope that, you know, I can do what I'm doing now with the team to, you know, ultimately, like I said, get get to that cure so they never have to deal with this, you know, ever in their life. And and, and they don't have to worry about it. And, and hopefully I'm the last last generation of this because four is just, it's wow. just ridiculous. Well, and do you, ha- did you have them do trial net? Uh, I did not have them do trial net. My ex-wife is a, is a pediatrician. So she's kind of monitoring yeah. and paying attention to them. So will we at some point possibly, but she's on top of there. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else you want to say to the diabetes world about the Institute? You know, the only other thing I would say is, you know, look, we, I, I welcome folks to visit our, our website at uh, diabetesresearch.org. And, and more importantly, I would say, you know, if you're interested in what, what we're doing, become what we call a DRI insider. It's a, an easy way to sign up for, you know, email updates and, and research updates on what's happening with us. And we all, we will push out interesting news. We get a lot of questions as well. So if folks have questions about not only the work that we're doing or even about their own particular, you know, case, and they want somebody to, to uh, to reach out, please you know ask us. We're always open and, and willing to talk to to any folks you know about the work that that we do. It's it's important, and we're we're here to help. And we're a resource. Well, and for the listeners too, like if you haven't been a part of a clinical trial, I've been a part of a few. Can you speak to like a time? I want to give them a timeline. So let's just say that one of your research team members comes up with the cure, and sure. it starts with animal trials. Correct? Yes. Most well, likely. Well, in, in, right in 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 the wet lab, right? So then it goes from from, you know, hypothesis into, well, now I want to test it. So you, you go into animal trials and, you know, depending on, on what that trial is, that could take years. <laughs> I don't want yeah, like, yeah. you know, numbers on things just because it's, it, it, every trial is different. You know, we're, we're, we're literally waiting on a trial right now. that's going to move into, into human trials any day now on a drug called uh, Eladon. And, you know, I know we've been working our, Dr. Kenyon has been working on that for the past, probably 10 years years. So it does take a long time. Science moves slowly. And, you know, what I would say is there, there continues to be a gap in the diabetes research space that, that I have, you know, certainly noticed and, and am trying to start to think about how to address from both a, how do we develop a clear career path for young investigators, as I mentioned before. So a novel idea can move from somebody that's doing a, a postdoc or a fellowship mm-hmm. uh, into a lab at the DRI or, or, or potentially elsewhere. But then equally, what happens if that is a great idea that, that has commercial viability and how do we get that particular, you know, scientist and researcher funded? You know, there, so, so we're, we're trying to be incredibly, I think, open and creative to yeah. the, the way that we look at both philanthropy, but but you know, really, my ultimate goal is: can we connect people and organizations together in ways that haven't been done before? Can we connect the researchers together in ways that haven't been done before? And I think the answer to that is yes. It's just a function of how do we have that conversation? When do we have that conversation? And and what does it look like at the end of the day? Because I, as I mentioned earlier, right, what the pandemic has shown us is that it takes an entire scientific community coordinated yeah. to come together to figure out a cure. 
we used to have our tagline used to be the the best place for a cure. And I think what we've what we've determined and realized is that you know the cure isn't going to come from the four walls within the DRI. It's it's the DRI can be a convener of of ideas and and space so that ideas can flow into the DRI and out of the DRI and and, and vice versa, right? So that mm-hmm. everything is connected, which is our I think our biggest biggest challenge right now. So if folks are interested in that, you know, we're going to continue working on that and invite people to you know, take a look at the website, just kind of stay tuned and, and, and stay plugged into us because we've got a lot of exciting things to do and, and it's going to take a village to actually make it happen. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining the show and to all of your researchers. I look forward to hearing the developments over this. And I mean, every year, I would like to believe that we see progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things too, as you do see progress, keep me posted because I want to get the word out about it. Because I think that instead of everybody just waiting for that day for the cure, knowing that, hey, we're just moving into phase two, it could take a couple of years, but we are moving forward instead of, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's always moving forward. And even in failure in science, there's learning, right? So. I want to make clear that that even if we don't get out of a clinical trial, you know, phase that we go back to the drawing board, but we, you know, the scientists have learned from that. They can pivot and figure out what to do better next time. So yeah, wonderful. Appreciate the time. And thank you so much for everything that you do for the community. All right. Well, keep up the good work. I look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good holiday. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm a total nerd when it comes to science. So when Sean shared that science moves slowly, it was a friendly reminder. These things take time. I look forward to seeing what Sean and the research scientists have in store for the diabetes community. Good on you for all of your hard work. Before I wrap up, I have a few quick reminders. Number one, my latest project, The Diabetes Way, is live and for people like you and those touched by diabetes. Check out thediabetesway.com to learn more. And there's a lot of exciting things there. And it's growing. Eh, Exciting things. Okay, anywho, number two, Don't forget to visit my resources and affiliate page for killer discounts. If you'd like to join this list of reputable brands, just hit us up at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com for details. Number three, I know you're listening and thank you. So be kind and throw a little change my way. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast and advocacy efforts afloat. All you have to do is click on the donate link in the show notes. So easy, right? And finally, I'm here for my diapeeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me on any social media platform or directly at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. 